Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. Right now, I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. I'm going to be talking about two major trailers that have come out over the last few days. I'm also going to be getting into some major films that are going into production right now that will be set to be released in the next year or so. And also a preview of next, or excuse me, not next week's, but this week's upcoming Loki chapter and so much more. But the first thing that I do want to talk about, of course, is going into the weekend box office. And this weekend, of course, was a major milestone for where we could be seeing the box office going from here. And of course, this weekend saw the release of the ninth installment in the Fast and Furious franchise, F9. And there was a lot of anticipation going into this one, how it would perform, what would people be seeing in this? Would this be the next step in kind of seeing the recovery of the box office moving forward? And that is exactly what we were able to see positively, thank God, this weekend as F9 did gross $70 million over the weekend to become the highest grossing film a of this year when it comes to opening releases, beating the 48 to $50 million that A Quiet Place Part Two made over the four, four to three day Memorial Day weekend this past May, and was able not just to do that, but also become the highest grossing film of two years really becoming the the first highest grossing opening weekend since Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker was able to do it back in 2017 or not excuse me not 2017 but 2019 and again just an absolutely incredible feat for what this film was able to accomplish and being able to a kind of showcase what the box office could be looking like moving forward but also just kind of giving theatrical exhibition members just another big sigh of relief that that the the that audiences are coming out audiences are feeling comfortable going back out to the movies again and being able to see films on the big screen when they feel like that it warrants and when they don't want to see something at home on their television screens and when they want to go out to a big place and be with audience members that there are films that they will be doing it for they showed it that they will be willing to do with The Quiet Place Part 2. And now they've recently showed it that they wanted to do it with the latest Fast and the Furious film. And I think it's a huge accomplishment for them. And also a big accomplishment for Universal because just think back to it last year when really Universal upended Hollywood, upended the theatrical exhibition marketplace with the deal that they struck with AMC and, and wanting to shrink the, the theatrical window to 17 days. And they've been able to have a little bit of wiggle room throughout the last year since that initial deal was signed. But they have really kind of come out on top. And, and even though that they are the ones that were the first ones to kind of jump on this and shorten the theatrical window, they've never really wavered from putting films out in theaters. And and even though they can't kind of came out in the beginning looking like the bad guy, they have been one of the more kind of stoic, stoic exhibitors of the theatrical experience, even with the truncated theatrical window what, what that they want to go for. Because even when you look back on late 2020, early 2021, when you had films such as Promising Young Woman, News of the World, even though those aren't big titles like a Wonder Woman 1984 or even the likes of a Godzilla versus Kong, they still put films in theaters for theatrical exhibitioners to put out if they if people wanted to go in theaters during the pandemic. 
And they've been really kind of pushing all their films out to make sure that they line up with a release date. And even though that some of their films have been shorter delays or delays that were maybe in October of 2021, December of 2020, they they pushed back F9 a full year and a half to when it was initially supposed to come out in April of last year. And a lot of people thought that that might have not been the best move. People might get over F9 and, and might not want to see it when that comes out. They might not really have it on their mind. And for the fact that the film was able to make $70 million is very, very impressive. And, and there's a numerous number of reasons for that. And it's not just because of, of, of the pandemic, but when you look at the box office track record of the Fast and Furious franchise, domestically, it's kind of taken a, a little bit of a dip ever since Furious 7 came out. It opened with that incredible $147 million, becoming one of the highest grossing opening weekends in April in 2015. Fate of the Furious kind of took a little bit of a dip, making $97 million, but still had a successful worldwide weekend debut when it came out, and it grossed $1.2 million in 2017. And then you had Hobbs and Shaw take a little bit more of a dip opening weekend, but making around $60, $62 million, but still made around six to $700 million worldwide in 2019. But F9, what it was able to do is I think it showcased that within the main canon of the Fast and Furious franchise, not just with spinoffs, there is still an audience here in the United States, and F9 made more than what Hobbs and Shaw made its opening weekend. And so it took a, a big boost forward to showcasing that Dom Toretto, Letty, Roman, Tej, they're still on people's minds. They still want to see these people on the big screen doing these crazy stunts and action sequences. And there's already a built-in audience fan base for it. And then when you add in the fact that, again, $400 million worldwide, the fourth highest grossing film of 2021 right now, it could very well take over Godzilla vs. Kong, which is around $447 million right now worldwide, could take over that to become the third highest grossing film of 2021, the highest grossing film here in the United States in a long, long time, and seeing where the potential track record go, could go for it is just absolutely incredible. So this is a huge win for Universal. This is a huge win for the Fast and Furious main franchise itself. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this works out for for the next couple of weeks because again a quiet place part two is another big indicator of okay this is where we're going right now and we all thought that in the heights was going to be that next indicator but unfortunately i think it took a few steps back then a few steps forward that might have been more of a mis misjudgment on what we thought the market temperature and the audience temperature was really going to be for that film unfortunately but i think in the f9 was able to showcase once again that where audience members are looking to certain films right now and i think quiet place part two proved that i think f9 is going to prove it and i think black widow two weeks from now is going to be the next film to see if this pattern is being developed of what kinds of films people want to see in theaters and i think you know you can also put Cruella in here a little bit as well, and also the Conjuring franchise as well. The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, which came out earlier this month, is that with audience members, I think, are looking at predetermined IP sequelized films that they know that they that they understand are going that are going to deliver these big theatrical experiences that you would not get sitting at home on in in your own home on the couch with your family or whatnot and watching it on a television screen because 
Within the Heights, I still believe that you should see it in theaters, but you don't know if you get that same experience or not. But people have seen the first Quiet Place film. They know what that could bring that you wouldn't get watching it at home. Same thing with The Conjuring films. That goes for a lot of horror films as well, if you could see it in theaters or on a, a streaming service or on PVOD. Same thing with the Fast and Furious franchise. You know what you're going to get in theaters. You wouldn't get that same effect watching it at home than you would get on the big screen. And I think Black Widow is going to prove that as well, that even though we are getting Marvel content on Disney Plus right now, which is geared more towards Disney Plus than being a hybrid release of going to streaming and going to theaters if you had the choice. If people know what to experience with a Marvel, an MCU movie on the big screen, that I think that could also be an interesting factor of seeing if people go to the theaters to see that, knowing that they might not get the same experience watching it at home than they do on the big screen. And it's going to be a very interesting test because if you look at the the two major films that have really kind of broke out so far this summer movie season as we're, we're reaching the halfway point with two months to go, the interesting thing about it right now is the fact that with The Quiet Place Part 2 and Fat F9, another big winner here in a, in a big question mark for Black Widow in two weeks is the fact that... F9 and Quiet Place Part 2 are playing exclusively in theaters for a certain amount of time. And I believe with Quiet Place Part 2, it's 45 days when it came out Memorial Day weekend. And I believe from reports, F9 is going to get that same treatment, especially since it made over the threshold of what Universal might consider to put out on a 17-day window, with, especially with AMC. I think they're going to go with the over and see how much money this thing can make exclusively. So I think it's going to get more of a 45 to 50-day theatrical window exclusively before going either on Peacock or on PVOD before hitting that market. And so there's an exclusivity to just seeing it on the theatrical screen. So you get a better indication of where people's mindsets are at and that there's only one way to see these films. And will people wait it out or will they go to the theaters to see this film before seeing it maybe on PVOD or on a specific streaming services in about a month, month and a half from now with Black Widow? We're going to be getting we're going to be seeing if audience members have a choice on a major high profile anticipated title would they rather see it at home or would they rather see it in theaters because they're going to have the choice to do either one you you're going to have that disney premiere access 30 dollar bonus that you're going to have to pay to get black widow on disney plus or are you going to go to the theaters to see that one and so you had that day and date release with the big ip that you didn't really have with a lot of films before. You had it with The Conjuring, and even with Godzilla vs. Kong, you saw that there was a good a good positive wave that attributed to the box office and attributed to the theatrical market. Is that going to translate moving forward when it comes to actually working on these major franchise films that are day and day release. The Conjuring was able to do it and have good positive box office. So is Black Widow going to do that? And if the numbers are are either close to what F9 did or maybe they super succeed them, maybe that does that tell us one thing about how people are feeling about one certain film or how they feel about uh, the, the way that you're able to pay for something at home. So it's going to be very interesting to see the kind of questions that Black Widow is posing right now compared to what F9 and A Quiet Place Part 2 were able to answer questions about moving forward. So I always thought that F9 was going to be the big indicator of where audience members are right now. And it seems like 
it's moving in a very positive direction right now. And the next big question is going to be with this hybrid release, what are people's preferences going to be right now with a big MCU tentpole film? The first one in two years since Spider-Man Far From Home in July of 2019. So I think that's going to be very interesting to see where that lands from here. And it's going to be very interesting to see how the box office shakes up in the next two weeks because I think excuse me, this upcoming weekend, there's nothing really huge coming out on the level of like a Black Widow or an F9. You do have a lot of streaming films that are coming out, like The Tomorrow War. You also have a few other ones that are coming out as well, but you also have some theater films such as The Forever Purge, or The Forever Purge, excuse me. You have the Boss Baby sequel doing a hybrid release of theaters and Peacock, but nothing on the level of F9 and, and Black Widow. So this could easily be another weekend that F9 takes number one at the box office, excuse me. But it'll be very interesting to see the kind of legs that this film is able to have in, in the coming weeks. Is this film going to drop off completely next week now that people, that that first surge of anticipation is over with, the fans have finally seen the film its first weekend. And so what kind of repeat viewing are you going to get with this movie? So I think that's going to be very, very interesting to see how that all really kind of kind of plays out and the, the way that it'll go moving on from here. So what do you guys think about this? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And also going over with the, the rest of the of the box office this weekend, you did have A Quiet Place Part 2 make $6 million. The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard make $4 million. Peter Rabbit 2 The Runaway made $4 million as well. A few hundred thousand less than The Hitman's Wife's bodyguard so it'll be very interesting to see where the rest of the box office shakes out in the few weeks to come cruella stayed at number five from last week grossing another 3.8 million dollars and moving down one spot from number six to number seven from last week to this week was in the heights grossing another 2.2 million dollars so again it seems like unfortunately in the heights is heading for a disappointing loss for warner brothers at the box office unfortunately but for f9 the fast saga a great weekend for universal a great weekend for the theatrical exhibition it'll be very interesting to see what happens in the weeks moving forward for this franchise so what do you guys think about f9 moving forward in its box office let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And now, I want to move on to talk about some tr trending trailers that came out over the last few weeks, or really the last few days. And the first one I'm going to start off with is talking about one that released just today, and that is the first trailer for the Sopranos prequel film, The Many Saints of Newark, and is directed by Alan Taylor, and is written and produced by the Sopranos creator himself, David Chase, and it stars Alessandro Navoli, it stars Leslie Odom Jr., John Berthold, Corey Stoll, Michael Gandolfini is coming, playing a younger Tony Soprano. You also have Ray Liotta and Vera Frigma coming in, playing Tony's mother. And again, like I said before, this is going to be a prequel to the hit classic television show with the one great late James Gandolfini. And this is going to be taking place around the Newark riots time period. And this is the, the synopsis for The Many Saints of Newark. Young Anthony Soprano is growing up in one of the most tumultuous eras in Newark's history, becoming a man just as rival gangsters begin to rise up and challenge the all-powerful Demio crime family's hold.
hold over the increasingly race-torn city. Caught up in the changing times is the uncle he idolizes, Dickie Moltisanti, who struggles to manage both his professional and personal responsibilities, and whose influence over his impersonable nephew will make the teenager into the all will help make the teenager into the all-powerful mob boss will later know to become as Tony Soprano. So I was always very interested to see this film. I'm a big fan of The Sopranos television show. It's one of the great shows of all time. It's very influential in not just crime dramas or, or the crime genre itself, but I think also when it comes to to long-form television, especially for HBO, it was kind of that next wave of uh, uh, really one of that, those first initial waves for HBO when they had shows such as Sex in the City and Six Feet Under. It really was kind of that one of those first waves of really introducing great movie quality television and then long-form storytelling that we hadn't seen really before on, on the small screen to that date, and it brought around some phenomenal performances. Again, of course, James Gandolfini delivering one of the great, just all-time performances ever, playing Tony Soprano. Of course, you had Edie Falco playing his wife. There was just a whole bunch of great performances that came from that era, and there was always references to this specific time period from the Sopranos, especially during the Newark riots, and we're finally seeing that kind of take root, and I'm always worried when it comes to to spin-off films or really kind of prequel films and, and, and wondering, is this really kind of coming from the heart? Is there a reason for why this story should really kind of be being told? And do you have the right people surrounding this? Do you have people that were around during the days of the television show or is it just people that loved the show, were fans of it, have gotten permission from the creators and are doing kind of their own thing? But it seems like a lot of people that were involved from the, the writing team, the creative team from The Sopranos is back Back on this one. Like I said, you do have David Chase writing this one, coming up with the idea for it, and wanting to continue this kind of universe, this this story of the of the Demoy crime family, the Sopranos family. And you also have Alan Taylor coming back to direct. And for a lot of people will recognize the name Alan Taylor just on the surface of being a part of the Game of Thrones films, or not not films, excuse me, but the television show directing a bunch of episodes from that show. He also directed Thor the Dark World. He also did Terminator Genesis. So his movie credibility isn't all that good. However, like I said before, he directed episodes of Game of Thrones, but he also directed a couple of episodes of The Sopranos as well. So it's not like he's just coming in this completely cold and just kind of going at it. He has familiarity with this universe, with this team moving forward, with David Chase and these characters. So I think it's a really good fit for him to be in this. And watching this trailer, I was really impressed and really excited for what I saw in this in this in this trailer for this film and the thing that really surprised me was the fact that uh, that the fact that I think that Tony is such a big part of this this film because when I first heard about it it, well, the, the big thing, of course, is the fact that Michael Gandolfini was taking over the role that made his father who his father was and what he was will always be remembered for of playing Tony Soprano and taking over his father's legacy in that role and making it his own as a young Tony Soprano was always going to be interesting to see. And that's the one thing people are going to notice is, is, is Michael Gandolfini going to be able to take this over and make it his own while also honoring 
what came before with his father and I think he does a great job in doing that kind of showcasing a more vulnerable Tony Soprano somebody who is kind of rough around the edges right now is trying to determine where he's at in his life and isn't the the all-powerful gangster that we know him to be in the television show just yet and it sounds like this this movie is going to kind of showcase how we got to that point when we watched the first episode of the show and I'm, I'm really excited to see where that goes and I think again for a lot of Sopranos fans they're going to love what they see in this trailer and I just think that it has a lot of Scorsese vibes to it I think it has a different tone than the the show which I really like I think it stands on its own which again you want it to be set in the same same universe and have a lot of kind of callbacks but you want it to stand alone as its own thing as well because you want to get get more people to watch this film so I think they're able to do that really well I think the cast itself looks fantastic from Alessandro Navalli, who's been in a lot of stuff, playing the, uh, Chris Maltesani's father. And then, of course, Leslie Odom Jr. being this. I'm, I'm excited for that. John Berthold playing Tony's father. We have always heard about Tony's father. If you watch the show, The Sopranos, but we've never seen him before. So to actually see him in action and see what he was like running this crime family is going to be great to see. And I think you can't get anybody better than John Berthold in a situation like this. Corey Stoll playing Uncle Junior. I mean, that's going to be awesome to kind of see a, a younger Uncle Junior, what he was like back in the day. And then you get Ray Liotta in this. You know it's a crime film, a mob movie. When you get Ray, you're able to get Ray Liotta in this film. He looks menacing and cool. And Vera Freeman playing Tony's mother, again, a, a staple in the television show. It's going to be very interesting to see how all these young characters became influences and what we know Tony Soprano to be in that television show. And... Again, I was very surprised in the fact that this very much does feel like a Tony sequel, and it's not like it's forced that way. It feels very natural, and that there's going to be all this other stuff kind of going on around it, and it's going to it's going to build to the, to kind of mold the, 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 into the Tony Soprano that we all know. And I, I, I was very surprised by how much we got in this, and that I thought it was going to be very much focused on the other people in the room, which it very well still could be. But this trailer felt a lot more focused on the Tony Soprano angle, which again, I'm I'm completely happy about it and I'm fine with it as long it fits the flow of the story the, the, Michael Gandolfini looks again great as he does and again I think the big question moving with this film is can you get bigger a bigger audience to watch this film because you're going to get the diehard soprano films and is that all you're going to go for with it or or, are you, or is this going to be a broad enough crime spectacle that you're going to be able to get other people to see this film and the thing is is that with a film like this are you going to have too many inside jokes that general audience members are going to be able to follow this film from beginning to end or are you going to be able to mix it up with some insider stuff that only the soprano fans would know but maybe other people can catch up on and ask questions and that'll link them to go watch The Sopranos if they haven't already done that as well. So when it comes to making prequel stuff like this or spinoff stuff from famous television shows, legendary television shows, you always gotta make sure you you hit the right balance. It's very difficult to do this kind of thing. And we'll see if David Chase is able to do it. I think this is perfect to be debuting on HBO Max and also in theaters as well on October 1st. I I, I have said, and, and when the announcement came that all the 2021 films from Warner Brothers Film Slate 
would be coming to HBO Max as well. Again, I always said the little things, things like Those Who Wish Me Dead and The Many Saints of Newark, which is now also titled The Many Saints of Newark, A Sopranos Story, which also, again, I like that you add the Sopranos factor in there because that's going to be one of your big marketing assets and getting this film out there and trying to attract people to see it. I think one of the big things that could help is having this on HBO Max because let's say if people really want to watch this or... They, 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 they're not sure about it, but they don't want to go to the theaters and pay money for this. I think this is a great component for HBO Max because I think that this fits right along with what HBO Max wants to do. And I, and I think for what this, this film is about, the fact that it is based in the Sopranos universe, after watching this film, if you have questions about the Sopranos and, well, how does this lead to this? What is this about? Who are these characters? You can just say, well... We can go right into The Sopranos and we can watch that as well. And so you just go right from one thing to the next. And I think these mid-level budget films that maybe don't do so well theatrically can really have success on HBO Max. And so I think this is going to be a better fit for HBO Max than in theaters, but it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Because again, when we've seen films do well on HBO Max, and this is what a lot of the a lot of the presidents over at Warner Media have said, if a film does well theatrically, then it does well on HBO Max. And it, we, it seems like we don't have the vice versa so far where a film does well on HBO Max but doesn't do well in theaters, or it does well on HBO Max and it does well in theaters. That's the only thing that we do have. So... It'll be very interesting to see if this thing doesn't do well in theaters. Well, that does that mean that it didn't do well on HBO Max? Or could this have been one of the cases where it did really well on HBO Max, but it didn't do so well in theaters because more people went to go see it on HBO Max? So I think that's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens. But I like the, the October release date around the fall time. If it's perfectly, I can't wait to see kind of Newark represented in, in New Jersey. I was always a big fan of that with The Sopranos, so... I'm into this. I like the trailer. And to finally see what Michael Gandolfini does, he looks really good to honor his father's legacy. I think he's going to do a really good job. And to have David Chase there, Alan Taylor, they know what his father did. So to kind of help him along in this ride like this is going to be really, really cool to kind of see. And we get more Sopranos. And I think for a lot of people, that's an exciting thing. That's not a bad thing. So very excited to see where all of that lands. Now, moving on now to... The last trendy trailer that came out this week, and that of course is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And this is going to be, according to Kevin Feige, the final trailer that comes for Shang-Chi and the marketing campaign, which is again the film. Now that we're almost in July, it's almost two months away now, so there, there, there's not a lot of time left between when the marketing for this film and when it actually is going to be coming out on Labor Day weekend. So the time is ticking for this film. But I got to say, the, the the campaign for this has been really cool so far. And I love the teaser trailer that came out a few months ago. And I really like the trailer that I got, to, or, or not really today, but in the last few days. I really like the trailer. I, I think one of the big highlights, of course, is the fact that we learn more about kind of the, the, the Asian culture, the, the, the martial arts culture, ancient Chinese. We get to really kind of see that all kind of portrayed here. A brand new angle in the MCU that we haven't seen before. I think it looks great. 
Destiny Daniel Creighton, who, if you haven't watched Just Mercy, highly recommend that. He just shows how great of a director he is and just doing these very nuanced, human, emotional stories. And I think we're going to get that in this film, but he does a great job with the action. I love, I love, love, love what I see with Shima Lee. I love what I see with Aquafina. Michelle Young is in this. She looks awesome. And of course, Tony Leung, he looks awesome and a badass as Wenwu, aka the Mandarin, the, the head of the Ten Rings, seeing how the Ten Rings actually work. And I love how we always wonder with certain items or characters, how is Marvel going to adapt those from the comics into the the, the, the movies or, the, or the, now the television shows at Disney Plus as well and make it seem... I guess I guess authentic is a, is a is a good word to use. How to make it seem like it fits within this this universe and not make it seem too campy, cartoony. And I think that especially the Ten Rings actually on the Mandarin is something that you wonder how they're going to play all that out with the mystical powers and the, that in the comics the Ten Rings bring. And in Marvel MCU fashion, they were able to modernize it in a way that it seems like it's these actual kind of ring bracelets on Tony Leung's arms, and it's able to he's able to divert energy, and that's how he's able to utilize the Ten Rings. So I think that is a really intriguing way to go about it instead of actually having ten finger rings and having that kind of be magical beings where one controls water, one controls land and wind and and fire and ice. You don't need that stuff and it could very well do that in this movie but i like the way that they have kind of portrayed the ten ring so far and to kind of get into that mythology is going to be really interesting and of course the big thing that a lot of people are talking about is of course the fact that the the tag at the very end of this showcases this cage match where it seems like this monster and this mystic arts user is are fighting and and, and it's it's kind of like a blink and you'll miss it but if you freeze frame it it looks like the abomination and we know we're going to get the abomination tim roth coming back reprising his role once again after just being in the incredible hulk in 2008 that's kind of been kind of like an outlier in the mcu but it seems like they're bringing that back tim roth is going to be in the new she-hulk television show and so is mark ruffalo and the abomination is going to be coming back and it seems like we're going to be getting him coming back a lot earlier than we realized as it was confirmed by kevin feige that it was in fact the abomination fighting that mystic arts user and that mystic arts user isn't just any random user it's actually dr strange's number two and that is of course wong played by benedict wong and it, it again offers a whole bunch of questions of of what is going on is and i think it also asks also when does shang chi take place because we haven't gotten an official confirmation yet whereas with things such as black widow we've gotten kind of as concrete as we possibly can get before the film that Black Widow is taking place between Civil War and Infinity War, so the events of Infinity War, the events of Endgame have not transpired yet. With Eternals, we've gotten confirmation that Eternals is going to be taking place over thousands of years over all the MCU films, so it'll kind of be getting like a history lesson with a bunch of the Eternals. And then, of course, you have Spider-Man No Way Home. You have Thor, Love and Thunder, Doctor Strange, and the Multiverse of Madness, of course, all taking place after the events of Avengers Endgame. And especially with with Doctor Strange and Spider-Man taking place after the events of Spider-Man Far From Home. So 
with Shang-Chi, we have not gotten any kind of confirmation when this takes place. Does it take place before the first Avengers film? Does this take place before the before Civil War? Does this take place before Infinity War? Does this take place between the five-year span of Infinity War and Endgame? So, or does this take place after Endgame? We, we don't know yet when this does take place. And I think it's gonna be very interesting to see if it takes place over a multitude of timelines. Is it just one? Yeah, it's gonna be very, very, very interesting. But because when you have these two characters, well, how are they gonna link up? Because Wong is gonna be in at least Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness and Abomination is going to be in She-Hulk next year. So when does this day all take place and what is this leading to? And again, just kind of sprinkle that in there within the MCU. Again, another showcase that as long as it fits and, and Marvel knows how to fit these things in here, and have it make sense, it's going to be exciting. And, and I think it's natural to have this in the Asian culture. And of course, Benedict Wan is somebody who, who preaches that and he's a part of it. And I think for them to celebrate all that is amazing and exciting. And again, just another corner of the MCU to investigate that we haven't gotten before. And th this looks great. And I also love the, the father dynamic between... Shang-Chi and Wenwu and, and kind of seeing the father-son aspect of this all kind of playing out where the son doesn't want the father's legacy but he's been trained to kind of be this assassin in the way he's got all these skills but he, he doesn't want to be that kind of person he's somebody who wants to be good and wants to help people but that's not what his father and his organization are all about right now they're about evil and, and, and rootlessness and hurting people so it'll be very very interesting to see how that all kind of plays out and i think that's a great angle to really come from that we haven't really gone before i think in the mcu that 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 we've gotten father-son dynamics but from this angle when it comes to living up to your father's legacy but not wanting it and wanting to be your own person i feel like we haven't really gotten something like that we might have gotten it with with tony stark and his father but not to this extent where it's really about running away from your past in in, in some sort of way so i think it's gonna be very interesting i'm really looking forward to it and really like the trailer that i saw and again it comes out labor day weekend september 3rd so first time in ever an mcu film has come out during that time period one of the last things that we could say about an mcu film when it comes to release dates like that for the foreseeable future because they debuted almost everywhere else probably minus january february so these films definitely know when to come out how to come out and it'll be very interesting to see if this can also have success on Labor Day weekend. Now moving on to kind of the final bit of movie news that I want to talk about today on the Samba Cell podcast, and that has to do with three major titles that are coming out next year that are beginning production today. And, we have, and, and we've had productions go on throughout the COVID-19 pandemic and, and they've been going on throughout this whole year. But yesterday was, uh, yeah, yesterday was really kind of a special day on Monday where three major films simultaneously announced that they have begun production on three highly anticipated sequels that we are looking forward to. And those, of course, are Knives Out 2, Aquaman 2, and John Wick Chapter 4. And, and it's been reported for the last few months now that Knives Out 2, the sequel to the surprising success of the 2019 hit film, that was great. And it was, of course, announced over the last few months that Netflix bought the next two sequels to what is now a franchise in Knives Out, which will be written and directed 
by Ryan Johnson, it was always reported that the second film was going to film around Greece and it was going to film around the summertime. And now we have official confirmation from Ryan Johnson himself and from a bunch of set photos that they are officially shooting in Greece and will probably be filming till around late July, early August. So you know kind of the the either the rush or the the format of how long this shoot can, will actually be in and what Ryan Johnson is going to be doing with this film. And it wasn't the only thing that came out of that set. We also got kind of behind-the-scenes pics, especially since they're publicly out there in Greece. You have the the, the, the international tabloids with major stars. They're going to want to snap photos of all of them, seeing what's going on. We saw Daniel Craig kind of all snippy up in an outfit, and we kind of saw the, the whole kind of crew and cast and in, in their uniforms and kind of getting an idea of what this next mystery whodunit's really going to entail after the first film. And... I think with this film, you have Kate Hudson, you have Katherine Hahn, Dave Bautista, Leslie Odom Jr. is in this as well. And, and it seems like it's going to be like a fun summer vacation murder mystery kind of film in a way. And we also kind of got confirmation, it seems like, that Jada Pickett Smith and Ethan Hawke are going to be in this film as they were shown to be on set in Greece. And... Even though this thing seems like it's going to be finishing production in August, I don't think this film is going to be coming out in... December, January, I think being set in Greece, looking like the summertime, the way that everything seems kind of outfitted, I think this is going to be one of Netflix's next year's summer movie films to really kind of put out there and market the hell out of. And I think it's right for them and a perfect time period for them to actually do it again. There's no confirmation that they will be putting this film out in at around July or excuse, not July, but around the summertime. But it would make sense for them to do that and I think with this film it's exciting to see that this film is finally actually being being put into production and to, just to see Daniel Craig out there to see the whole cast I, I, it seems like they have great chemistry and camaraderie together so I think that's what is going to be exciting about it I'm sure Ryan Johnson saw that in when he casted this group together so it's going to be great to see and it'll be very interesting to see can this, can this ensemble rival minus Daniel Craig because he's in both but can the rest of this ensemble rival what was great about that first ensemble? Because there were some great performances that we knew, but I think, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the one thing that I think surprised a lot of people was the fact that there was a really true rising star that came out of that first film with Anna de Armas. And I think a lot of people are going to be looking for that with this film. It'll be very interesting to see if they're actually able to do that. So it'll be really, 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 really interesting to see what they're able to do. And then, of course, you have Aquaman 2 coming out in next year, in December of next year. And I think with, with Aquaman 2, it's it's premiering and, and shooting in Iceland right now. And James Wan kind of came out with the caption saying day one. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how the rest of this film kind of unfolds. I remember last year at DC Fandom, they were going to, they had a panel for Aquaman 2, but it was really kind of just a celebration of the first Aquaman film. They were still kind of in the, 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 the pre-production phase of this whole thing, running the script, getting everything together. But now we have an official title, Aquaman, The Lost Kingdom. 
And now we're finally getting into production on this whole thing. It seems like the cast has been formed and the, the script's ready to go and, and we're going to be shooting this thing now. So that's really exciting. And then, of course, the other big one is John Wick Chapter 4 finally going into production. It's going to be shooting just this one film because of COVID-19. They're not going to be doing back-to-back like they wanted to do with Chapter 4 and Chapter 5. But the fact that we're getting another John Wick film, it, we're going to be get Donnie Yang in, in this movie. There, there, there's just an, an amazing cast that is coming along for this ride but again another exciting film that I think people are really really excited to see and really be entrenched in when this film does come out so what do you guys think about the major titles that are beginning to shoot production right now let me know which one you are most excited about is it Knives Out 2 is it the sequel to Aquaman or is it the fourth installment in the John Wick franchise let me know and leave your thoughts. And the final thing that I'm going to be talking about today on the Sam Bissell podcast, moving away from the news side of things, is of course previewing the fourth episode of Loki. And again, we've gone, we're halfway through the season right now, and we only have three more episodes to go. A lot of questions seem to be kind of formulating on, on what the heck is going on with the show. And we're coming out with the fourth episode tomorrow. And, and there's there's a lot of previewing of, of what's to come. Again, I wasn't as huge of a fan as this past episode as I was with the first two, but I like the progression of kind of these two Lokis together. We, we got the name of the this new variant called Sylvia, and we kind of saw the, a relationship kind of form between these two. We were introduced to this new apocalyptic planet that they were on. Of course, the only big thing that was there was no TV and the big plot itself really wasn't kind of pushed, but character development was made between these two characters that I'm sure will be big for the last three episodes to come. But we've kind of been teased by the writing staff and Tom Hiddleston, and this seems to just happen in every single one of the shows so far, whether it's WandaVision or Falcon the Winter Soldier. There's been always a big tease of either a big cameo or a big reveal that's going to happen. And Tom Hiddleston did say that between four and five, there is something that happens that shakes everything up. So we're on episode four tomorrow, and we're waiting to see if something really does shake up. And I think one of the interesting things, interesting theories that that was asked and was kind of derailed last week was about the TVA and, and questions that have begun since the first episode of is the TVA what it actually is, what Mobius has told Loki that it is, or is it a complete farce and not realistically what people have thought it was actually supposed to be? And 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 is maybe Sylvia on the right side of this, not the TVA? And so I think it just adds a lot of questions that are very interesting and some huge revelations that I believe could definitely definitely shake up this show again I don't know anything personally but it'll be very interesting to see what happens with this show in the next couple of weeks it's gonna be very very exciting I cannot wait for it what about you guys let me know and leave your thoughts but that down and out of the way that will do it for this <clears throat> excuse me this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Once again, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to check me out on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out Goal Driven Professionals, Geared Toward Improving Client Relations, Return on Investment, and Customer Acquisition Costs for Independent Businesses, and services. Also check out the Daily Grind, 
a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, give you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, WrestleMania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Twitter and Facebook at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Pacel Samuel. That's B U W S E W L S A M U E L. And also on Facebook at Sambacel. Also, you can check me out on my YouTube channel at The Sambacel Podcast. So, once again, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep on screening.